Well, last week, our lead pastor, Kevin Eckert, finished up a series in Revelation. And, and the end of Revelation is such this beautiful picture of Jesus saying, you know, I'm coming soon, and his people saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. Right? And, and Kevin talked about that Revelation is really the final piece of the puzzle, putting that all together. And there's this reality that we long for that day as believers. Right? We long for that moment. And yet there's a reality that we live in today until that day comes. And, and what we've gone through in Revelation sets the stage for us to live in an attitude now that prepares for that day. But there are broken moments we face all along the way. And this morning I want to look at a passage that if you've been in church very long, it's a very familiar passage to you, but I want us to play it out and to walk through it. And so if you've got your words, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to be in verses 4 through 9 today. And I want to set the stage for you a little bit. The book of Philippians is Paul writing from prison as he's endured um, many difficulties by this point. He still has many more to go, but he has endured difficulties. He's writing from prison to a group of believers that are wrestling at Philippi because they have, many of them are fairly new to the faith and they've followed Paul's leading and they've actually sent uh, someone to go encourage Paul and they're burdened by the fact that Paul is in prison and by the circumstances they're facing. They're facing persecution where they live for the sake of Jesus Christ. And there's questions about, well, our circumstances are this bad, Paul's circumstances are this bad, then why in the world are we following Christ? Wasn't this supposed to be better? And so there's questions that get raised. And so Paul writes throughout the book of Philippians to tell them that, hey, for him to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? Christ is better and what is to come is better. And he talks about forgetting everything that's behind and everything that was to his benefit. He's laid down for the sake of knowing Christ. And he talks about over and over again the idea of circumstances and what is better than our circumstances is Christ. And so in this passage we're going to read today, he's laying out specifics for them as they're facing their difficulties and what their response should be. And so we're going to play through that beginning in verse 4. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. So here's what Paul's doing. He's, he's just laid out for them all these difficulties that he's going to pursue Christ and he's told them, hey, your response is to rejoice. And he knows exactly what their response to that will be. Will be, did he say that right? Like my, someone sitting there was going, my husband was just arrested for believing in Christ. He said that I'm supposed to rejoice. And so he goes back and says, no, 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 let me tell you clearly, I mean that. Rejoice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. In the passage we're going to look at today, he uses these definitive words several times. Always. Everything anything. This idea of always, right? You and I have circumstances in our life where we go, yeah, I don't know that I need to rejoice in that one. No, God means that one too. Yeah, but what about this? Nope, that one too. But Kurt, you don't understand this. Yeah, no, God means that one as well, right? All of those circumstances, it's rejoice always. And this word rejoice literally, it, it means basically like a calm cheerfulness. It's not like always just have throwing a big party and a big celebration. It is a calm cheerfulness, and what is faced. But you and I both know the difficulties of what we look into rejoicing or having a calm cheerfulness doesn't make a lot of sense. See, when our first child was born, 
um, leading up to that, everything was normal, everything was fine. And then um, right before, a day or two before he was born, my wife got sick and took her to the hospital. And we couldn't quite figure out everything that was going on. Um, and I spent that first night in the hospital with her hooked up to monitors, the baby on monitors. And they gave her something to sleep. But I spent all night in that chair watching those monitors. To this day, I can see those monitors and the little blips and the little beeps, the little things, knowing everything that was happening. And yet to take a verse like this to say, I'm supposed to calmly be cheerful, not knowing what the next moment holds. But notice what it says. It doesn't say just rejoice because I'm supposed to have some goofy looking smile on my face and act happy. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. What this is saying, what he's talking about here is this picture of, I have the opportunity to be calmly cheerful because of who God is, no matter what I face. So as I sat in that hospital room, I wasn't celebrating or calmly cheerful that my wife was lying in that bed and we had some uncertainty. I was calmly cheerful about the fact that the God who loves her more than I do was in control. And that the God who loves, loved my unborn son and cared for him more than I did was loving us enough to carry us through whatever the next hours held. I have to confess, not all of those moments were cheerful, calm moments. Plenty of those were back and forth wrestling of God, what are you doing? What's going to happen? How's this going to play out? Right, but the Lord saying, rejoice in the Lord always. To have a calm cheerfulness because of the character and nature of God, not because of the circumstances you face. And if that isn't enough, Paul goes on to say, let your gentleness be evident to all. So not only does he say rejoice or have this calm happiness and, or calm cheerfulness in every moment, but he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. I don't know about you, but when, when I'm wrestling with a hard circumstance, gentleness is not my most um, evident feature. Right? That word also really means reasonableness. I'm not usually reasonable in the most difficult moments of life. In fact, what I didn't tell you was when they got my wife into the hospital and they were kind of monitoring her, they were waiting on something back from the doctor and it, it seemed like a long time before they did anything to help her. And at some point in my um, gentleness, I made my way out to the nurse's station and what I felt was gentle said, somebody needs to give her something now. And I turned around and walked back. And what I heard on my way back to the hallway from the nurse's station behind me was husband and fours getting upset. <laughs> right? There was not a reasonableness or a gentleness in the midst of that moment. So how do we get to this place of reasonableness or this gentleness? In fact, it's supposed to be evident to all. So what he's telling the people at Philippi is, hey, the people that won't shop in your store anymore, you're there supposed to see your gentleness, even though your business is going under. Hey, the person that put your wife in jail, they're supposed to see your gentleness, your reasonableness, and, and your calm cheerfulness in the Lord in such a way that 
they recognize it. It ought to be evident to everybody around you. Again, for me, that's not quite the easiest thing to see happen. How in the world does that happen? The next phrase is key to this picture. After he says, let your gentleness be evident to all, what does he say? The Lord is near. How can I be gentle with someone who's caused great pain? How can I be gentle in circumstances that I don't know the outcome? How can I be reasonable when everything inside of me is screaming, there's nothing reasonable about this circumstance? It's because the Lord is near. It's because his presence is enough. It is in knowing that he is close by and he cares and he has it all covered in his hands. At some level, I know we hear that and it almost feels trite. Well, sure, right? God's in control. But Paul was writing this letter not simply to tell them what they needed to do. He was living it. Right? He was in the midst of prison for the sake of the gospel. He, was, he had such confidence in the character and nature of God that he could pin this letter to them, living it out. That the God who made the universe was present with him. That the God who loved him enough to send his son was nearby. As the word says, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. And the, the presence of God was a confidence in Paul. It ought to be the confidence for us. But what's a barrier to that? What's a barrier to us having the confidence in the presence of the Lord? Look, he addresses the primary barrier in verse 6, or one of the primary barriers. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and petition, present with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We don't have to worry about that verse, do we? None of us are anxious or worry about anything, right? You've never been anxious. You've never worried. We've never had moments of going, I don't know what's going to happen. And we begin to wrestle through that anxiety. No, that's all of us. We all have this wrestling within us. This, at times where we worry about something. And you know what worry really is? At its root core, worry is trying to control something and realizing I'm out of control. Which ultimately means I have a distrust of God because I want to be in control. Worry is an indicator in our lives. It's this, the anxiety is an indicator in our lives that we don't really trust God with the circumstances we're facing. We're trying to trust ourselves and we've immediately recognized we're not big enough to handle it. And so we worry and we wrestle. I read a book from a, a pastor who, called, who said worry was like this. It was like taking a rocking chair and trying to travel in the rocking chair. Right? You ever tried to go anywhere in a rocking chair? Doesn't happen real fast, does it? Doesn't matter how anxious you get, how fast you rock it, how much you work it. In fact, you may even go backwards. We can rock and rock and rock in our worry and make no progress. Because this is what worry is like. And see, for, for you and me, in our, in our biggest moments of, of broken circumstances, and we're just worried as can be and we're rocking as hard as we can, over time, we recognize our need to trust the Lord because we figure out we're not going anywhere. But for many of us, one of our big dangers is the slow rock. 
We allow a low level of worry and anxiety just to exist in our lives at all times. And we've become so comfortable with it, so comfortable with it, we don't even realize it's there. And we're just slowly rocking back and forth in a low measure of worry. See, the problem with worry is it does a few things in our lives. At worst, it moves us completely away from the Lord. Because when we think we have this image that God's goodness means not allowing anything broken to happen in our lives, that then we start to worry when something happens, and we worry that God's not big enough to take it because something terrible happened. And then that worry leads us to a place of going, God's not good, God's not powerful enough, he's not able to handle it, and at worst, we move away from him. The best thing worry does, and it's not good, that best case scenario, worry renders us ineffective to carry the gospel to anybody else. When I get consumed with worrying about what I'm facing, guess what happens? I don't care about my neighbor next door who doesn't know Christ. I'm consumed with me. When worry consumes my life, I'm so busy rocking back and forth that I don't notice the person in the cubicle next to me at work. I'm not carrying the gospel to anybody. Our enemy, if he can't lead you to not ever knowing Christ and he knows that you know Christ, he'll work to lead you ineffective for the sake of the gospel. And worry is one of his greatest tools because we get consumed with ourselves. But this passage doesn't leave us without what our response should be. Right? Look at what it says. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. But in everything, by prayer and petition. This petition, these are supplications. These are help me prayers. These are, God, I'm broken and I've got no way forward and I need you to move. See, the, the, the thing that we miss at times with worry and anxiety and being anxious about things is, we think what that means is we are not allowed to see the big weight of something we're carrying. We think it should just be like this goofy grin that's like, okay, we're all good. I shouldn't have to worry about that. No, the reality is all of us at times and many of us right now in this moment are carrying huge weights of brokenness in your circumstances. So what is he saying by, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present these requests to God, right? We're supposed to, what we do is we take these things and we take them to the feet of the Lord because we allow him to carry the weight instead of ourselves. When I carry the weight, I will never be able to fully carry it. When he carries the weight, he's able to carry it every single time. Here's the example. I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Hiding Place by Corey Tinboom. She was a Dutch clockmaker and watchmaker uh, during World War II. Her family hid Jews um, during that time, and eventually her family was discovered doing that, and they were put in concentration camps, and her story is an incredible story. There's a time when she was a little girl, and she remembers riding a train with her dad, and her dad had some uh, clock-making tools and resources and things in his bag that made it, or in his suitcase that made it really heavy. And so they're riding on the train, and she heard somebody say a word at some point. So when they're riding the train, she asks her dad, what does that mean? And instead of just answering her what it meant, he got up, 
picked up the suitcase, kind of set it down, and said, Corey, would, why don't you carry that suitcase? And she tried, and she couldn't pick it up. And he looked at her and he said, just like that suitcase was too heavy for you, Corey, I would not be a good father if I asked you to carry that weight knowing you couldn't carry it. So in the same way, that knowledge is the same, works the same way. I'm not going to ask you to carry something you can't carry right now. I'm going to ask you to trust me to carry it for you. And that reality that the Lord is doing the same thing when he says, by prayer and petition, present your request to the Lord. He says, I know you can't carry the circumstance you're walking in, so I need you to let me carry the suitcase because you're not able to carry it, but I can. You're not able to move it forward, but I can. And every time you try to move it forward, you're rocking back and forth in a pool of worry and anxiety because you know you can't carry it, but you want to try. See, the great example of this, of helping us realize that it's not about acting like these things don't exist or that they're not heavy, was the example of Christ. The example of Jesus in Luke 22, starting in verse 39, I want you to see how he carried the weight that he bore. So Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. See, by prayer and petition, he's presenting this to the Lord. Verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. See, there was still this weight that Jesus felt. He was going to carry the sins of the world, something bigger than you and I have ever carried. And what he said in that moment was, I'm going to take it to the Father because the Father is the one that I trust. And I know that he's near and he's the one that can carry. His will be done. So when it says by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present our request to God, what it's saying is we take that moment to lay on our face before him the weight that we feel laid out and putting it on him saying, thank you, Lord, that you are able to carry what I never could and entrusting it to him. See how it says with thanksgiving, right? It's amazing how when, when we are thankful for the character and nature of God and the things that he is doing, our worry begins to be removed. Try it sometimes. Begin to write out the things that you're thankful for the Lord. And when you're in the midst of something chaotic, take Take time and begin to write out what the Lord has done in your life and to praise God for his character. And as we begin to focus more on the thanksgiving of who he is, the worry of what we have to deal with begins to become smaller because we begin to see him as bigger. And as we see him as bigger, our thing is smaller. We entrust it to him and know that he's big enough to carry that weight. That's why it says with thanksgiving, we present these requests to God. And notice what happens as we do that. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? The peace of God. 
The peace of God then begins to settle over us. His peace, right? Not something we muster up, but his peace begins to settle in. And notice what his peace does, right? It it transcends all understanding. As a pastor, I have um, moments and plenty of moments to be in a room with someone days or hours before they pass away. And to be in that room with a believer, someone who's followed Christ, trusts Christ, and their hope is in Christ. There is a peace in that room that doesn't make sense to most people. I've been in the room with a 20-something-year-old young man who three years prior was wrestling with cancer, had another person from this church who had wrestled with cancer who connected with this young guy and this other person from here led that young guy to Christ because of the similarity of cancer they had. So three of us at times got to meet and walk through the word together. I got to do this young man's wedding. He went into remission, got to do his wedding. A few days before the wedding, they get the phone call, looks like cancer's back. They walk through that wedding. They spend the next almost year of their life walking through the battle of cancer until he went home to be with the Lord. But days before, I got to spend time with him and hear his heart. And I can tell you, because of the fact that he knew Christ and he knew his death was imminent, his peace was greater in that moment than it was three years prior before he knew Christ when he thought death was likely, but it wasn't even imminent. At the point that death was imminent, he knew Christ, his peace was greater than anything he'd ever experienced before. It's a peace that passes all understanding. And so as we take our worries and lay them down before the Lord, his peace begins to settle in. And look what it does. It says it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's amazing that God's peace is the guardian of our heart. It's the guardian of our minds. As as we are comfortable and resting in his peace, our hearts are protected. Because think about it. When you and I walk through the difficult circumstances of life, what are, the, what are the two areas of our lives that we start to question God? What we feel and what we think, right? God wouldn't possibly allow that. My mind begins to wander to places that would challenge the character and nature of God. My feelings, my brokenness begin to lead me away from what is true in the Lord. So that when his, but if his peace and that I, my confidence that he is near and he is big enough has settled on my life, then whatever I face, His peace guards my heart and my mind and keeps me from chasing rabbits that will lead me away from the Lord rather than to Him. It becomes a guardian. And the Lord does a work there that we couldn't even think possible. So he ends this particular passage talking about the ways that we should think in response. So finally, brothers, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Did you catch that? All these things, it's a, these are intentional pieces that we're supposed to lay before the Lord. Right? These are, this is an intentionality with our minds of moving toward the Lord in what is right and true. Here's what we realize. We are called to be intentional about the way we set our heart and mind up before the Lord. 
So here's, here's what I mean by that. Uh, a picture of it. When I'm at home, um, on my dresser, I like my dresser completely cleaned off. I don't like anything on top of it. I don't want anything there. I want it all off. But over time, what happens, I come in, I'm tired. set my keys on my dresser. I don't want to put them up where they go. I'm tired. I put something else on top of the dresser. My dresser starts getting full of stuff, and then I look at it one day and go, why is there stuff all over my dresser? Because I was too lazy to put it where I belonged. And then I'll clean it all off again and go through that cycle again. This idea that our minds are supposed to be a place that we are intentional about putting into them what moves us toward the Lord and not things that move us away from Him. Whatever is true, whatever is noble or honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. This is intentionally taking our thoughts captive and pushing them toward the Lord so that when the difficulties come, our minds are already settled in a place that His peace has taken control. See the progression of what Paul's talking about? See, if thanksgiving helps push our anxieties out, think about how much more, think about what is true and processing what is right and what is honorable and what is noble, what is pure, what is lovely. If those things are what are captivating our minds day in and day out, when the difficulties come, we respond the way Paul does. Not in allowing the circumstances to dictate to us how we should respond, but we allow the presence of God to dictate to our circumstances how we will respond. And the game changes. So he says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. He reiterates that point that his presence, his nearness is the driver that leads us out of our anxiety so that whatever we face, we can rejoice in the Lord. We can let our gentleness or our reasonableness be evident to other people. We can take our anxiety and worry instead of rocking away, trying to travel a great distance to fix a problem that we can never fix and spending hours in emotional baggage trying to carry it on our own. Lord says, you lay it out before me. Here's the deal and reality of walking through our worries and anxieties. We need each other to help point us back toward what is right and what is true. This is not necessarily that we just sit here and go, well, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to stop worrying. Some of you are worried now because I said to stop worrying. You're like, I'm worried that I'm not supposed to worry because I already worry too much. And the reality is we need other people to help us move more toward Christ. That may be someone in your small group, your life group, home group, somewhere else that you go, hey, I I am wrestling with this and I want to lay it down before the Lord. I want to just pray, help me prayers and trust it to the Lord and let him carry the weight. But I just can't. And I'm trying to carry it on my own and you need someone else to walk with you. You may not have anybody like that. And we have Stephen ministers that they're trained and designed to walk with you through something to help move you more toward Christ. And you can ask one of our pastors at the end of the service what that would look like. We'll be down here and we talk to you about what Stephen ministry looks like. You may go, I so wrestle with anxiety and worry that I'm just so far off. I've rocked the chair to pieces and it's broken underneath me. 
allowing a Christian counselor to come alongside you and help you walk through that. There's lots of ways that we need to allow others to help us move toward Christ. But not just seeing this and going, okay, i got to work harder. Seeing this and knowing that we rest in the goodness of the Lord and allow our minds to dwell on the things that move us toward Christ. So here's the deal. Sitting in a rocking chair, trying to worry, trying to travel, yeah, that's not going to get us anywhere. But if we rest in the Lord, you know, there's a good use for a rocking chair, right? As a father of four, rocking chair is one of my favorite places. You hold that baby and you gently rock and let them rest in your arms as you rock back and forth and look at their face and watch them fall asleep and enjoy those moments. We're not called to travel in a rocking chair which is worried. We're called to rest in the goodness and presence of God and let him do the traveling for us so that all we do is we sit and rest, allowing our minds to dwell on the reality of who he is so he can travel for us and carry the burdens we were never meant or capable of carrying. And we can simply rest in his goodness. And our worry will begin to slowly move away. The circumstances aren't going away. They still have to be dealt with. The weight still has to be carried. But it's simply entrusting that weight to the Lord and letting him carry it much further than we could ever carry it. And for us to rest in him in a way that allows us to experience this life with the goodness and purpose and rejoicing in the Lord always as we look to the one that is to come with great confidence and great purpose and great joy. It's difficult for all of us, but the more we allow the Lord to take our anxieties, worries, and allow ourselves to calmly rejoice before the Lord in everything we face, the greater possibility we have of carrying the gospel to other people around us. And that's why we're here is for others to see the good news of Jesus Christ, that he is more than enough.